Hello, friends. This is Stagnant Pennies. I am Corey the Joy. We're going to break down Daniel Suarez's win numero uno with nobody less than the guy who owns that thing. Justin Marks is jumping right here on Stacking Pennies. You do not want to miss it. Also, we have a lot of pit road boats and woes to break down from Chase Elliott to Kevin Harvick's comments all the way down to the right front wheel falling off on Kyle Larson's Chevrolet. We got an off weekend coming up for Father's Day, so we're going to talk to my dad for spare change here later this week. You do not want to miss that. But let's just go ahead and get right into it. This is Stag and Penny. Stagging them deep, selling them cheap. It tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're out here stagging pennies. All right, guys, here we are. Big week, Chuck. Yeah. Big week. Oh, yeah. Everybody's pumped up when they see the Amigo win. The end of that race where I was with our camera guy, CJ, and Daniel's Amigos were up on the, the – was it the – They had a there? setup. They were – it was a good setup there. Just watching the excitement as in those closing laps as he's leading and then pulling away, it was like – Dude, it, it was, was like awesome. it was like watching a soccer match. I mean, they were so fired up. Like the – poppers and the pinatas and the tacos flying around victory lane was chaos it was before we get too much into that i'm corley joy i drive the seven car you're chuck bush i don't drive a car you don't drive a car you just talk about it jonathan merriman does absolutely nothing and (laughs) as always pit road boats was analyst front tire changer for ryan blaney's number 12 ryan flores stick to what you know calling in remotely calling remotely from uh the jersey shore he sometimes drives a car paradise really He's Jim Tan Laundry this week. At least he, uh, you know, he took a couple minutes for us to podcast. Thanks for joining hey, us. Hey, it's nice out here today. It's pretty up here for about two months out of the year. The rest sucks. Bro, it was thunderstorming here this morning. I thought Jesus was about to come back. I was worried about it. He was knocking on the door. <laughs> he was knocking on the door. <laughs> uh, you know who else was knocking on the door of a big dub this weekend? The Amigo. Daniel Suarez. We're going to talk to his owner here in a little bit. He's on standby. Uh, about to zoom in with us. I've been trying to get him on the show all year. But what better time? Now the fact that both of his drivers are in victory lane. Who would have thunk it? I can assure you Jeff Gluck did not think it because he went, He continues to bring it up every week about how um, he made the coldest take, even compared to some of your ice cold takes. Gluck had the coldest take about how disappointing of a season track house would have. Quite the contrary. Jonathan, what was your initial take about the Amigos' first dub? Well, I, I kind of thought, you know, Busher was giving it to him pretty good there. I'm a I'm a Chris Busher fan. I think that guy's underrated. So I was kind of pulling for Chris Busher a little bit. But look, Daniel Suarez, we saw how good he was at Coda until somebody ran into his car. Uh, really cost him at Coda. I don't know who that was. Do you remember? When he's on top of seven wide. <laughs> And they took the stage points instead of doing what uh, was, everybody else should have raced. You said seven wide. It was a seven car. It was a seven. Uh, but, but if you're going to be dumb and have a dumb strategy hey. and not go and go for the stage win we're, instead we're of supposed actually to be, going for the race we're supposed to be strategy. happy for him. But yeah, I mean, it, I am happy for him. I'm not. But su- if you want to bring up the pass, I'll bring up the pass. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not surprised anyone. I'm. I'm. I'm happy for him. I'm glad it's. Uh, I'm glad he's got that box check now because you talk about a guy who's who's raced for some of the top organizations in the sport wasn't able to get it done arguably wasn't ready when when Carl retired to be thrust into that car uh at Joe Gibbs I think that's something that's overlooked too about that you know 195 cup starts before his first win he was literally putting the Carl Edwards car when Carl just up and quit on Joe so I mean maybe he was there a little bit too soon took a little bit of aging there he is victory lane hmm not sure that's how that happened, but uh, we'll go with just up and quitting. Yeah, I don't think that's exactly how it happened. But if that's the way you see it, then that's so that's the way it is. Man. I'm not going to take anything away from it. I but mean, it, it, did Carl leaving not thrust Suarez into that spot? Let me ask you this. You know, 195 starts with arguably the two best organizations prior to Trackhouse being a powerhouse at the moment. What's different about Daniel Suarez now than was four years from now? Or five years from now, when he jumped in at Gibbs, people are, that he's surrounded by—that's one. He's what, got... What's different about what Martin Truex did or what Joey Logano did? Right, he has a team that believes in him. That that they're all pulling the rope in the same direction. One, and I feel like thousand percent. His, you know, his teammate is pushing him 
you know, Ross is not a guy that's been like a Kyle Bush or a Denny Hamlin who's expected to win. You know, they're almost on the same, you know, they'd be the same level of driver. So that's probably pushing him along and making him believe themselves as well. Confidence, boys. Confidence does it. When you know that the people behind you have your back 100%, but also you have confidence in what equipment they're putting underneath of you, you're not scared to drive that thing 105% and get it all out. And those, those guys are giving Daniel and Ross both really fast cars. It seems that as though anywhere we go where you're looking for mechanical grip, those guys have found it. They have found it all year long, and they continue to bring speed to the racetrack. And it was no difference this weekend. Ross uh, was really good. He was in contention to win the truck race, uh, but also he was running the top five in the cup race. But Daniel Suarez, towards the end, man, he was dominant. I wonder what the odds, Chuck, were a Suarez, Busher, and a McDowell top three. And that's – I don't know what it is with, you know, McDowell, right? Because here recently – He's been showing up in the top 10 and, like, making making some noise. And then uh, we know he's a good road course racer, right? Like, he's, like he's that's been touted. But, I mean, just those three guys up there at the front. Suarez, yeah, we get it. Uh, Busher's been showing some speed recently. Uh, and McDowell, like, that's – He's finished in the top five of the last three road courses. Interesting nugget there. Yeah. Chris Busher has. So, he gets after it, gets it done on a road course. Um but there's a couple different variables into McDowell's success. I think Blake Harris going over there, crew chief in that thing. Obviously, uh, he still has some tie with Gibbs. I'm sure there's some information just from some buddies he talks to. Uh, it's not a separate deal, right? Like it's all – it's not coincidence that somebody from that uh, side of the organization goes and it's his first cup crew chief and gig, and he's getting some speed built in, into McDowell's car. Yeah, I was going to mention, you know, Blake Harris, how much of a – you know, big party was on that 78 and 19 team and he's just a racer, but also, I mean, you, you would, if you think he's getting information from Gibbs, he ran a hell of a lot better than any of the Gibbs cars did this weekend. That was, uh, I, when I looked at the rundown, I couldn't believe, um, top Gibbs cars, Kyle Busch in 16th. Well, I, I haven't went back and watched the race. I did kind of see after all my stuff, we came in, we lost a bunch of laps trying to fix power steering, but I did notice that all four Gibbs cars, once they realized they weren't in contention to win, try to pit with like six or seven to go to see if there was a late yellow and guys would like they could try to flip that i think that's what they did yeah i saw that they pitted late but you know even like i thought kurt would be more of a factor i, I mean some of i passed kyle better. bush i mean that's that goes to show how bad they were running now granted we had a decent run there i think we were like 18th or 19th but and kyle kind of went to the front and then he burned his shit up which was easy to do and then i got him at the end of the run which i'm like it's the first time in my entire life I've passed Kyle Busch on a road course. My day was shortly over after that. A little O-ring on the power steering pump was crimped or broke or nicked in some sort of way. So by the end of uh, the second stop there, all of the power steering fluid was out of it. And it's different with these cars since it's a steering rack as opposed to a steering box. If a steering box doesn't have mechan like power steering, you can at least kind of like kale your bra that thing and like manhandle it. It is impossible to drive these things with no power steering with no fluid because they just lock up like you literally it will drive straight well they said aj didn't have it all race so it's, so he, his belt might have fell off i don't know what happened there um now if you just had it with no assist then you could do it like it would hurt and your shoulders would be blasted but if you're if your pump or rack doesn't have fluid in it then it locks up and gets air pockets in it and it makes it literally undrivable so that's what problem we had that is uh three three bad races count them in the last three weeks uh so that's not been fun um at all so it's perfect time for the off week to come for the seven team because we need a reset button because we're headed to nashville next week we finished 15th there last year uh that was a pretty fun race for us but still a lot of stuff to break down it's sonoma we didn't see suarez be dominant from the jump we saw kyle arson pick right up where he left off five consecutive sonoma races has seen kyle arson lead the field to green one of which though was per the rule book last year but still earned his way through the metric points leader fastest lap from the previous week finishing position starting the pole but nonetheless kyle larson is so good at sonoma um, but what we did see was the same strategy that worked for those guys last year. They tried to get the stage win, hoping that Kyle Larson was fast enough to recover track position. Hate to tell you, these next-gen cars are way harder to pass because everybody's running a lot closer together. 
Larson was not dominant enough to drive back and regain that track position, Chuck. Well, he was still uh, working his way through the field after that. Like yeah. he was making making some hay, I guess, if you if you will. What well, what position did he get back to? I that's I I don't remember. I was seventh, wa- maybe. I was, I was in the turns watching, so I wasn't yeah being able to keep up with timing and scoring. Um, but then I mean, obviously, get in, in into it in boats and woes. Can I just hit pause for a second? Yeah, this is on the record. If I can't watch the race because I'm in it. And he can't watch the race because he's in it. Do any of you f- watch the race to tell us how it went? Yeah, I watched yeah. the race. How'd it go? I thought it went. I thought it went okay. It was a classic Sonoma race, right? Like, you know, you're gonna short pit. You have the interesting fact of of people who are staying out, short pitting, whatever. We should get a. We should get rid of stages at the road courses. Can I, I get a vote for that? I'm not commenting on this. What do you think? What if? What if? Here, I'll give I you. Mean, a, I'll, I'll give you a, a compromise. What's the compromise? What if we keep the stage points you just don't throw the yellow when what if like hey we're gonna we're gonna award stage points so we're not gonna re-rack the field it's, it's, it's a green checkered flag yeah, so you just wave right. flag you, don't, take you that. just make the wind pay more in terms of points i don't know man i'm not a businessman i run our youtube <laughs> account Leave me I, I like it like it mixed it up this weekend the five car could have just ran away with the race that is true there wasn't any manufactured you know caution so i i like the fact that there's you know it it gives you an opportunity to choose whether you want to take stage points or go for the race win and then we saw this weekend mix the whole field up mix the whole strategy up i mean logano i think scored the most points for the last stage so yeah it's definitely changes the strategy you can make an argument that in coda suarez got bit by stage racing yeah but then did he benefit from it in sonoma yeah maybe they learned a lesson Hey, we got to flip the stages. We got to pit before the stage so we can get that track position because it's damn near impossible to pass. It's just adding another layer of strategy to the whole thing. And it, to, right. to answer your question of, you know, watching the race, like if you are listening to this podcast and you get the chance to go to Sonoma to watch a race, do it. Like it is fun to watch the race from there. Make sure you get there at least two and a half hours before the race because I sat a mile away in traffic. I thought I was going to get out of my rental car and walk in there. I was nervous about missing the race. There were a lot of people there. There was, there was it, a lot of people there. It was the first time they were allowed to have a capacity crowd since 2019, and the fans turned out. And they, I, from my perspective, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good race, and I think they got a good, good show, good bang for their buck. A couple of good, pretty good uh, talking points from the race. Kyle Larson, obviously, we talked about him starting on the pole fifth, five consecutive times, but also checks the box for Hendrick Motorsports as the first team to lead 100,000 miles in the Cup Series. Now, How many old when, I first, <laughs> when I first saw that, I thought that was going to be a bigger number. I'll be honest. Like, 100,000 like, miles? Yeah, I feel like Hendrick's has been around for – 40 years now, and they win almost every other week. How how many miles did Richard Petty himself lead in the Cup Series? Oh. That's where Chuck should come up there. Well, I, I can give you laps. Good, you can. I'm sure somebody's Yeah, done but if math. you lead Hang 400 on. laps at Jacksonville, South Carolina, it's, it's a yeah. third mile. Google it. I mean, I mean, they're like they've they've done the math because they said he's like he's I don't know run so many times around the Earth, right? Like how many times around the Earth is a hundred thousand miles? <laughs> I Why thought, I got to be honest, I, I thought Hendrick or somebody had led way more than that. That's like, what I, I said. Like, oh, I thought it was like a million, but I read it like three times, like 100,000. Between I four mean, cars, as dominant they've been for 30 years. But I guess it's a feat. Congratulations. With Trackhouse being as dominant as they are, I wonder how many laps and miles Justin Marks thinks they can lead. We can ask him here shortly on the show. What else do we want to get into? We talked about my day. We're going okay. And then we had another stupid thing break. I asked you a question before the show. You said save it for the show. Whose career – and this could be a good question for Marks too, like up until this point. Yeah. Daniel Suarez in his journey to winning in the Cup Series, whose career is is he closest to? I don't – Is it it Mark Martin? No. No. I'd say Martin Truex, I think he's kind of close to that. Um, but, I mean, you look at Martin, DEI and Waltrips weren't terrible race teams. Nope. And really, he, you know, he was able to win a race at DEI. And then I don't know how many he won at, at Waltrips, but it was nothing like when he got in that 78 car with Gibbs Alliance. So I, I would I would 
you know, look at it like that, or you kind of look at someone like a Bowman, right? Who kind of scrapped their way through the bottom of the garage and then got a good opportunity, but he's not quite at Bowman's level yet. You know, one, one road course race, he's got to win a couple more to, uh, to, to solidify himself there. Well, he, he's like raised to the crop or whatever the saying is cream is rising to the top. He seems to find his way towards the front at a lot of the road course races, a couple spots off his teammate and Ross and some of the ovals, which there, Ryan mentioned it earlier, the fire that Ross is probably lighting within the whole organization, especially Daniel, he doesn't want to be the second fiddle at Trackhouse every week. That stuff wears on you, I can assure it. So certainly if there's a win and grasp, uh, Suarez got up on the wheel. Interesting, I'm sure everybody's seen this, that first Mexican-born driver to win a Cup Series race behind other non-American-born drivers, Mario Andretti. Obviously, y'all have heard of him, born in Italy, Daytona 500 champ, among many other things. Earl Ross, Earl Ross from Canada. Uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, one of my favorite stories in NASCAR history. Uh, and Marcus Ambrose, obviously born in Tasmania. So, Crikey. add Daniel Suarez uh, to that list. And I will say this. Anytime I see NASCAR on the bottom ticker of Sports Center, no matter what the reason it is, Usually a good reason, so uh, obviously they are giving Daniel Suarez a shout-out for being the first Mexican-born driver to win a NASCAR Cup Series race. So, yeah, definitely a feel-good story. The uh, the, NAS- the, Na- the post that NASCAR put up of everybody driving by, giving him a thumbs-up, was really cool. You said you weren't able to make it there in time. By the no, time I was he like 40 doing seconds away. He was already doing burnouts by the time I got my stuff parked. Yeah, but like one thing that's cool is we've been able to watch Daniel. We were there the first day that he came – you know, drove here from Mexico. Our buddy Coleman Presley was who spots for Joey now was Joey's roommate. And we were all hanging out at Logano's house. I don't know if it's 21 Pocono or what it was, but Suarez came there. He drove from Mexico in a Volkswagen bug. And, you know, that was the first place that he came when he moved here. So we've been around him, you know, you were with him through the East series and everything. So you guys have been around each other a lot of your careers. Yeah, man, he's doing big things. It's cool to see. Also, it gives me a little bit of hope because He's about the only one in the Cup Series out of that 2012 class besides myself that hasn't found victory lane with Ryan Blaney and Bubba and Chase and Larson and all them guys. Uh, they have found themselves with some good teams and, uh, you know, crazy. gone on to do bigger and better things. Just crazy that that was 10 years ago to me. Like That like, that was back when people thought I was good, Chuck. You're still good. No, people don't think that anymore. Some people. Sometimes do. I don't think that. We well, should. Think you're good. <laughs> uh no, I think I'm okay sometimes, but yeah, it's hard, man. Especially if you, it takes all the pieces. You need all the people around you to uh, to make it happen. Certainly need a fast horse. And we are about to talk to the guy who's given Daniel Suarez a fast horse each and every week. The owner of Trackhouse, Mr. Justin Marks, jumping right here on Stack and Pennies. You do not want to miss it. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. All right, guys. I am joined by one of my good friends, but y'all know him as the owner of Trackhouse Racing. Mr. Justin Marks, thank you for jumping on Stacking Pennies. You got it, man. Man, we've been talking about trying to line this up for a long time. And what better opportunity to get you in here to talk about not just success of the one team, but now we got Daniel Suarez, win numero uno. How's it going, man? 
Yeah, it's going pretty much to plan. I mean, everybody's everybody's doing a really, really great job. And, you know, I've been telling people that, you know, it was, it was always sort of the plan to be able to put a, an organization together that that could get into victory lane and contend for, for victories uh, week in and week out. It's just happened very quickly. And, and I think that that's, you know, it's a testament to all the work that everybody's doing. It's a testament to the promise of the new car. And, um yeah, I mean things are things are going really, really well. I think we're doing a good job of sort of managing this this success because it, you know, it's there's there's ebbs and flows in this business. There's times when when it, when it won't, you know, we won't be winning. Um, and I think we're doing a good job of of just building a solid foundation, a great culture, and and um, just enjoying these moments. Well, Daniel was the first guy you tapped to drive that '99 to almost get Trackhouse off the ground. So what what if? mean to you to see him get his first win yeah that that's what that's what most of the emotion was really honestly around the whole thing was was that you know ross you know ross won coda won talladega and that one team was really sort of firing on all cylinders and and the 99 team had a lot of speed but um you know was was just having a hard time sort of closing the deal and putting putting races together and seeing that success was something i think that weighed on them just because you know, Travis and Daniel have been around since day one and really helped build the company. And I think always believed that they were going to be the ones that were going to deliver uh, the first victory for Team Trackhouse. But, you know, they have just a lot of resilience and a lot of hard work and a lot of focus. And you just have those thoughts that come in your mind, like, is the 99 going to win? When's the 99 going to win? And for them to be able to close the deal, there was a lot of emotion around that, a lot of emotion for Daniel. Obviously, he's been chasing this first win in Cup for, you know, for five years. Um, you know, Travis never, never, you know, never winning in cup at the, the uh, or winning, you know, as a crew chief at the cup level. Uh, so, so there was a lot of emotion there and, and it just was really, really nice to see all of the hard work that those guys have put in since day one at Trackhouse um, be rewarded. I knew it was coming, um, but it's just nice to, to sort of close the deal and have the, have a come full circle for the, for the company. So you've got a couple of trophies uh, of your, from yourself as a driver. How does the emotion compare owning the car that wins to driving the car that wins i mean i'll be honest with you corey you know it, it um i i th this is this is bigger for me i mean winning the, at the cup level as an owner is bigger bigger really than any race that i won as a driver and i think it's just because i have worked <clears throat> so much harder at this than i did when i was driving you know i I've, i never actually really thought of myself as as kind of an elite level driver right? i always sort of felt like i was a bit of a tourist uh, as a professional race car driver and, and, and was always sort of still looking for what it was that, that was going to be, you know, my real thing. And, um, you know, when they announced this new car, uh, you know, three or four years ago, and I was still running the road courses for Chip Ganassi and, and, you know, doing well and, and, you know, contending for victories. I mean, I quit, like I, I got out of the race car to do this because I felt like if I was going to really achieve something great in this sport it was going to have to be on the business side not not on, on the driver's side so it's been so much work and um stress and risk uh that that you know to see all of that that body of work sort of be rewarded over the last couple of years be rewarded with cup victories as an owner um it's it honestly is is a lot more meaningful uh for me personally so earlier before you jumped on the show we were talking about what is different about Daniel Suarez now, 195 races under his belt, winning his first career win for Trackhouse, when most of the people probably assumed or thought he should have won when he was at Gibbs, when he was at Stuart Haas. But when he jumped over to Team Trackhouse, he openly said this was his best opportunity in the Cup Series, which at the time, everybody's kind of scratching their head, but now it, he's kind of true. So what is that that you notice about Daniel Suarez now in his career of making him so successful? Yeah, I mean, you know, the exercise pretty early on in forming Trackhouse was, you know, obviously, you know, the, the the greatest mistake we can make or the greatest decision we can make is who we put in this car to launch this company. And so, you know, we went through the process of, you know, looking at the driver market and going, you know, there's a couple of boxes that we wanted to check there. One was we wanted somebody with a lot of cup experience. We wanted somebody who, when they've been in a winning situation, have closed we wanted somebody that had, had a chip on their shoulder. And, you know, Daniel, Daniel was all of those things. I mean, a lot of cup stars, obviously, with, with Gibbs and Stuart Haas, like you said. You know, so he knew how the cup series went. He knew, you know, who these guys were and how to race cup races. Um, and, you know, he, he obviously, he's a, he's a winner because, you know, he sat in that Gibbs car in the Xfinity series and closed the deal, won the championship. He won, you know, won a truck race or a couple truck races for KBM. 
uh, and he had a chip on his shoulder. Like he he was he was with those big teams. He got knocked down a couple times and was was at uh, Gaunt Brothers Racing and in that '96 car and was finishing you know 33rd every weekend and, and was like, this isn't how my story is going to end. I need to get back. So so um, he was pretty much an obvious choice for us. And I think when he says that this you know track house was his is his best opportunity. And trust me, I know how that sounded at that time. I think it's because you know I went to him and said this is your race team. Like we're, we're building this team around you. We are all about you. Just tell us what you need and I will do it for you. And I don't know if he'd ever been told that in his cup career. And I think that's why he felt like finally I've got people that are truly behind me. And we can talk about what his situations at, at Gibbs was and, and at Stuart Haas and everything. But I just don't think that there were a lot of teams that really saw the potential in Daniel as the athlete. And uh, they saw other opportunities around Daniel. And, and I just saw him as, as somebody that I truly believed was a winner in this sport and knew for our company that if we got him there, it was going to be a great story. And, and Corey, you know, is is, you know, we're race teams, but we're also marketing organizations and we're trying to tell stories and we're trying to um, cultivate followings and, and everything. And Daniel's, you know, great with that. He's got a great story. He's a great brand ambassador. And I just knew that a win in the cup series for him was going to be something that was going to, you know, resonate um, deeply uh, for a long time. And, and it has, and it will. So <clears throat> I don't think there was one media member across the spectrum that tagged Trackhouse being as strong to start the season as they have been. Uh, myself included. I mean, who who would expected the early success, even and though, he, he, yeah, you. <laughs> um, but you're still the underdog team, right? And no matter when you're talking about championship contender teams, Ross Chastain, who I've been talking about on the podcast for a month now, is a championship favorite. And Daniel Suarez, you guys bring in fast cars to the racetrack each and every week. How do you how do you go from that new team mentality? to a championship contending team now that both teams are in the playoffs making deep runs? Yeah, um, that's a really good question, Corey. And, and I don't know if I have a great answer for you. I mean, I think that I think that uh, that I'm sort of learning as I go myself here. Um, and, you know, when you when you talk about a, a team that's that's doing really well, it's bringing fast cars to the racetrack and winning races in June and in March and in April and May, that's that is a different conversation than how do you mount a championship run at the highest level of the sport when when the guys you know the teams that we're going to be competing against in that run are Hendrick and Gibbs and Penske and these guys have done it for a long time so I guess it just comes down to we have to continue to invest in the things that have um, that are that are working well for us right now and that's the fact that both teams are really helping each other honestly truly helping each other. Uh, and that we're staying motivated. Everybody's in a good mood in the shop. Everybody feels like, you know, their work is not just putting fast cars on the racetrack, but doing something special and different, which I think is motivating the work a little bit more. Um, and just focusing on what the task is at hand this week. Um, obviously, we have an off weekend right now, but every, the only thing on everybody's mind right now is, is how do we just do the best job that we can at Nashville? And, you know, and after Nashville, on and on and on. How much do you lean into a guy behind the scenes like Darian Grubb who does have a championship uh, trophy on the shelf? Yeah, I mean, those conversations have started. I mean, obviously, there, there are people in the building that have been a part of these runs. And, and you know, look, I, I've talked to Jimmy Johnson this week. I mean, I called Jimmy and, and just said, look, you know, I, I, you know I, I'm looking for all the advice I can get from people that have that've got experience and, and, you know, understanding sort of the mentality of the playoffs and how we approach the playoffs. And, you know, we've got a, we've got a couple of things planned you know, outside of, of our own people, um, you know, bringing some inspirational people in to, to meet with the team. And, and, and that's something that'll happen kind of as the playoffs start. Um, but I mean, you know, there will be mounted pressure. I mean, I think really it's, there's just going to be, there's going to be no noise and narrative, like in the media, right? I mean, that's inside the building. I just don't anticipate much changing. And I think that, you know, my job is to do the best the best that I can to make sure it doesn't change that much to make sure that that you know added pressure doesn't feel like it affects the work that we literally just keep doing what we're doing because what we're doing right now is working no doubt something on a little lighter note that I wanted to get into we talked a little bit about it uh, you and I just talking with Carter Kligerman about the project 91 everybody's super excited about that you announced Kimmy Reichman going to Watkins Glen which is uh, for every motorsports fan growing up myself included it's going to be awesome to see the Iceman lineup with us uh, on Sunday afternoon there. What's the future of that project look like? And what are just some things that uh, you can let the listeners in on? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I feel like the what, what started this whole Project 91 was was just the fact that this this race car, 
you know, for so long, stock car race, right, you know, NASCAR racing <clears throat> and, and these, these cup cars have required such a specialized style of driving to make them go fast that it's, it's been difficult for people to come in and, and, and try NASCAR and feel like they could be successful. But I think this new car gets rid of a lot of that because it's it's much more consistent with race with sort of like you know the, the global race car platform and so that that's what i thought about was like you know now somebody can come in that's got talent and, and do something in the cup series if they don't have a lot of experience um and so project 91 was about you know there's a lot of big time race car drivers around the world that would love to try nascar in america just because it's recognized as a big sport obviously there's a lot of people that watch it it's a very interesting car it's an interesting type of racing and, and there's people that want to do it and project 91 is being set up to be the landing spot for those people that want to come come try it and and um so i mean i think ultimately you know, it's a it's a brand extension of Trackhouse. It's something that can be that can sort of live on its own and be this really cool um, place for for sponsors and for drivers and and this compelling storyline in our sport. And um, I think where Project Ninety One ends up, it, you know, hopefully in my mind is you know basically six or eight races a year. You know, kind of like all the road courses, maybe in the Daytona Five Hundred, <clears throat> and and it's kind of you know something where. I want to just dream up scenarios for us as race car drivers to be able to experience and see and just try to make it happen. You know what I mean? And that, and, and that's, what does that mean? And maybe it means Lewis Hamilton, the Daytona 500 or Valentino Rossi, or, you know, just, you know, Daniel Ricardo or whoever, whoever it could be. Um, and, and creating something that's compelling enough that I can actually have those conversations with those people. Does Justin Marks make an appearance? in front No, of <laughs> that ship has sailed my friend. <laughs> well, You've, you're a captain in another ship pretty well, my friend, is the, is the team owner. I, I ask our guests, being that you're a driver, you can, you're going to answer this as a race car driver. Number one, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been in a racetrack? At a racetrack? Yeah. Um, I spun out warming my tires for the 24 hours of Daytona. Like, like in a 24-hour race, getting the tires warm for the start, I spun out and got yelled at by my boss on the radio. That was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> That's pretty good. I've got some good answers to that question. All right, number two, and I'm going to change it up a little bit. The question is, all right, I'm going to ask you the same question a different way. <clears throat> one, answer as a driver. If you had to pick one car and one track to race at the rest of your life, where, which would you go with? Ooh. Man, I love the trucks at Dover. I went and qualified on the pole at Dover in 2011 and held the thing wide open. And, oh yeah, I mean, it was, um, that whole race was, you know, that, that, or I always tell people that the truck race at Daytona, something about the trucks. I don't know, man. It's just, it just is, it's elbows up and it's, it's pretty wild. It is. All right. Question number two. All right. So you can't pick the two current drivers you have. If you had to pick one guy in one era of car, what combination are you going with in NASCAR? Tim Richmond, 86, notchback Monte Carlo. Oh, yes, sir. That, what a combination that would be. <laughs> I mean, bias ply tires, those speeds, just, yeah. <laughs> Question number three, are you hiring? Am I hiring? I need yeah. another charter. Yeah. <laughs> I need another charter. <laughs> well, that's all I've got for today, buddy. I appreciate you jumping on so much and giving us a couple minutes of your time. I'm sure the listeners are going to love it. And as always, guys, this is Stacking Pennies. That is Justin Marks, owner of Trackhouse Race, and root for those guys as they make a deep playoff run this year. Thanks, buddy. You got it, man. Thank you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. 
My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And there we just heard from the winning car owner himself, Justin Marks. Now we're going to get into some pit road boats and woes where the race might not have been won on pit road, but it certainly was lost in the way of Chase Elliott, Kevin Harvick, and Kyle Larson lost their chance for the dub this weekend. So we have, as always, Ryan Flores, front tire changer of Ryan Blaney's 12 car to break that down from the Jersey Shore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's Sonoma is that way. I mean, that was the, the one thing our Jackman said in our pre-race huddle. He said, hey, know your sandbox here. Right. We're not trying to do nine fives today. We're trying to keep them in the race. And we talk about it often. And we, we often say the race isn't always won on pit road, but it sure as hell's lost there every week. And it was this weekend, you know, the, the nine car having their issue though, the one car had the same exact issue. The nine car had the five car, obviously on strategy, but losing a tire that's going to affect them, you know, for the next four weeks, once we come back from break and the four car continues with their troubles, um, you know, and Harvick's been pretty open about that. What's it, what's it do to the, just the morale of the pit crew when you know you have a bad stop already, right? And then the driver comes on. I've always wondered myself because the quote from – we probably ought to pull up the audio. Hopefully we can find that. But uh, in the, in the uh, per, quoted from Kevin Harvick, he says, I swear to God, we look like the biggest effing b- bunch of wankers every week on pit road. I can't imagine those, it makes those guys pumped up or motivated for the next stop. I think Harvick, you know, I think that's one of the more mild ones. If you go back to his 29 days, he would, you know, he would rip pit crew guys a new one uh, every week. And, I, you know, Blaney's been a little vocal. He's had a rough year, you know, before they made the pit crew switch a couple, couple weeks ago. And we had an issue last week at St. Louis. And he was pretty vocal on the radio after that. But it, it's tough. You got to know that you're messing up, right? And you got to understand that in this, at this level, when you mess up, there are going to be people that tell you. Anytime that we have an issue with Blaney, there are thousands of Blaney fans on Twitter that will let you know how much you suck and how bad you should be, how quickly you should be fired. It's just part of the job, right? So we, you, you need to understand that that's part of it that comes with it. And it's a lot of guys when they first get their cup opportunity or they get on a good car for the first time, they get like emotional about it. I know you, when you look at uh, Jackson Gibbs, who had an issue on the 23 car a couple of weeks ago, he deleted all his social media because he was like, what the hell is this? So looking at that, you just have to understand that it's a big boy sport and that stuff's going to happen and you can't let it affect you too much. Those guys on the four car are also the same guys that, that won them a championship a couple of years ago. So they're obviously good at their job, but they're going through, you know, a lot of issues. There's a lot of people right now that are switching to try to use the gun in their left hand which is what shane on the front of that is is doing that's a lot of muscle memory to try to relearn in the middle of the season so there's just this one lug nut the new choreography everything that's going on on pit road has has taken guys that have been great their whole career and, and had made them have to put in a lot of work so there's the fours day uh felt like he lost a chance to win uh because of that long pit stop kyle larson lost the right front tire um which we could explain the depth chart and how it works because he's going to lose his crew chief, Cliff Daniels. He's also going to lose pick, two pit crew guys. He's going to lose the Jackman as well as the tire changer, in which case the trickle-down effect affects a guy like me because they're going to take – since we get pit crew members from Hendrick, we get the fourth, fifth, sixth guys in line, probably the fifth or sixth guys in the depth chart. The next one's up, man, get yanked from my deal, and they put the seventh or eighth guys – on mine. So it's like the pyramid of the best guys continue to go back to the top and the guys at the bottom suffer. That's just the way it is. It's the way it's always should be or the way it's always going to be. Uh, but yes, what do you think that does for Larson over the next four weeks? Probably not a whole lot, but what's the, what's like the camaraderie or the choreography look like with two different guys? 
Yeah, it's tough. And and I'm sure like I'm looking at that the mechanics were numbers and your guys are ninth for the day. They're in the top 10. So your team is strong. And, and a guy like Dickie, who's on the front of your car, he's been on the 24 most of the year um, and just got swapped with Cordero and Cordero started doing really well. But uh, but yeah, that that is going to not probably be an easy transition. But there's also we, we had a tire carrier that had to step in and he stepped up these last four weeks and, and just crushed it. So it's a great opportunity for guys to uh, jump in and show their worth. And the Hendrick guys, you know, they, they have, like I said, that's why they, that's why they do this. That's why they loan teams to, to guys like you and, and other Chevy teams. That's why Trackhouse loans their guys to the 16 and the 31. That, that's part of having your depth and having guys there on Sunday to, to be able to do those reps. So unfortunately for you, it's probably going to make your team worse uh, at the expense of trying to keep the five car you know, gaining points coming to the playoffs. But, but yeah, I watched the five stop and they had a little bit of a hiccup on their right front off and they might've rushed their, their right front on when, when their front changer got up, he kind of took a peek. Like I, I know the body language cause I've had the, the issues and he kind of like looked at it like, is it good? And I, just that slight bit of body language made me um, think, okay, he might've thought there was a problem when he was getting up from there. And then if you watch the five leave his pit box, he like shook it back and forth. Like something doesn't feel right here. And, you know, a corner and a half later, the right front was rolling into the sandbox. But I know that that's going to be tough. I think it's easier to have your pick, you, you know, your uh, crew chief suspended than it is to have your pit crew suspended. Because your crew chief can do his job, honestly, from his office with as good as technology is now. You can have all the stuff in front of him that he just have at the pit box. He just won't be able to count you into the pit box. The pit crew, there's no, there's no fudge in that. When that thing stops in the box, it's either leaving with all the wheels on it in a timely manner or it's not. So that that's where I think it's a that, that's a it's a still a very big penalty. We are 16 races into this thing. We have an off week, which is probably a much needed off week. By this point in the year, how are like how's your body feel? Is it broke down more than usual? Is it better than usual? How do, how like how do, how's your body holding up? Yeah, it feels pretty good because I'm not doing Xfinity. Xfinity, you know, doing an extra day a week is, is quite a bit of load at the racetrack. We've kept the reps off ourselves. Our, our pit coach, Ray Gallahan, is a longtime jack man that understands, you know, you need to keep some reps off yourself and, and be ready come September and October to go for a deep playoff run. That's what we're at Penske, especially on the 12 car, or the 22, the two car, we're, we are all about, you know, that those the, the fall. We want to do good now, but we want to be ready for the playoffs and go win a championship. So we are taking the precautions now to keep ourselves healthy to be ready for that playoff run. Because if you beat your, if you beat the crap out of yourself all summer, you're going to be mentally and physically tired come come the time when it's you know when you're ready to raise the big trophy. So that's what we're looking forward and looking forward to. We got a little bit of jumble up in the old uh, mechanics wear power rankings right now with the old three car sneaking up towards the top of the heap here. What are those guys doing? Yeah, they're doing just fast pit stops, and they're not doing anything flashy, even though they are flashy-looking guys. They are not. They're, they're just doing fast stops by doing simple tasks, you know, completing the simple tasks, as people like to say. They're pulling good tires, hanging good tires, getting the car high enough, not having huge mistakes. This weekend, on you know, when we look at the mechanics where pit stop averages, the one car was P1. The two, the three car was P2 and the nine car was P3, but I, the one and the nine had similar issues where they dropped the jack and had to back back up in their pit stall. So I'm giving P1 this week to Paul Swan and the ticket crew. Get your tickets. Oh, yeah. And they, they average a nine eight. So that's a great day. You know, Sonoma is a place where you're going to go and you're not going to do a lot of pit stops. So you can either do two or three pit stops and you can do them shitty or you can do them good. And that's what, that's what, uh, that's what this average is all about here. A big shout out to the 21 guys putting them P3 for the day. They've had a rough year, a lot of adjustments, a lot of adversity. So they had a, you know, a, a week where they didn't have to do many adjustments and could just pit and they, uh, they knocked it out of the parks. So really makes the driver, really guys. makes the driver feel good when them, uh, your pit crews getting you spots on pit road because they are hard to come by out on the racetrack. We look like the biggest bunch of f***ing wankers every week on pit road. Took a chance to win and just totally f***ing blew it. Well, there you have it. Talk to you all after the break. (laughs) 
All right, guys, we kicked Ryan off of Zoom, but we got we upgraded. We, we hit the upgrade button because we have a very special guest in-house, uh, none other than two-time Bush Series champion. And also my dad, Randy LaJoy, joined Stacking Pennies. This is cool. This is cool. We haven't got into it yet, but we're going to do a special Father's Day episode that's going to drop this weekend. But we're going to just help help have him help us finish out the show, Chuck. Uh, so we were talking before he jumped on about a cool Nashville Super Speedway story. Also, a little fun fact, he won the last Bush Series race at the Nashville Fairgrounds. So Randy LaJoy certainly had a pretty good handle on all things Nashville. What was that Nashville story? Nashville Super Speedway was a is a wonderful racetrack. A lot of fun. I always run okay, and we went there with the Dollar General car. That's their hometown. Jim Kelly's putting a big production on, you know. So we wanted to run good, so we went and tested. And we didn't have a crew chief, so I, I corralled Todd Bodine into being a crew chief. So we went there and tested. And we had some trick shocks, and we put them on the car. And, and Todd, I said, Todd, I said, he was down in turn one on the infield. I said, I can't see you. Where were you standing? And I says, watch the left front. I said, something's going on with the left front. Well, next thing I know, I come around and he's standing <laughs> on the grass right next to the right next to the racetrack. And I'm running 170 mile an hour. And I was like, okay. And he says, yeah, you're right. And we, we found a little bit of speed in the left front by messing with the, with the Ackerman in that thing. And then, and then we went back and the shocks that we had, they couldn't find. <laughs> <laughs> we were out to lunch. So it was a tough weekend. I hate it when that happens. Oh, yeah. Um, Chuck, I talk to my dad all the time. Do you have anything <laughs> you want to ask him? Well, I know Merriman is is, is a huge, huge Randy LaJoy fan. And, uh, and he, you're not. Thanks well, for the help. Uh, yeah, don't worry about me. Yeah, don't, yeah, don't worry about Chuck. <laughs> no. I, they, they, they threw – I've been down a rabbit hole of trying to figure out how many uh, miles – Richard Petty led in his so like my mind is like in this weird place right now. But my, my, that does it really matter? I no. mean, a lot. I mean, I just seen something that Hendricks <laughs> so, has on, led a hundred thousand. Yeah, like and, yeah. and this just popped in my head. So like, when you were growing up, racing modifieds in the Northeast, racing Bush North, moved down south mid mid eighties, late eighties. How was Richard Petty viewed to your generation of guys coming up? Growing up up north, uh, I mean, he he's still a king. I mean, yeah. uh, but just what he had he did for the sport. I mean, okay, when I started, uh, let's see, I flipped over Daytona, and it was with a petty engine in the car. We had blue ours up, and we rented one from uh, uh, Wilson. Uh, he was the engine builder, and then we rented from Richard, put it in the car for the 150 or the Gatorade 125, and flipped over. Uh, so I've known him since then. And that was 85, uh, 84. So, you know, here I am, tw I was 23 years old and still just awestruck. He would do the rookie meetings and him and Dale Inman, they always grab you. I don't know why. They always come over and they give you a squeeze uh, under the umbrella right arm there, somewhere. Yeah. I mean, they always, no matter where, you know, hey, how you doing? Good. Hey, you having a good day today? And, you, and you're like paralyzed. You're like, nah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but Richard, I mean, and then when I started running later at 80s, into the 90s, you know, he's like, man, he's, he's having trouble keeping up because a 45-year-old guy ain't going to do what a 25-year-old guy is going to do. And that's – it was hard to see because cause all you seen was a 43 out front all the time, everywhere. Uh, and, you know, of course, you're like, okay, he's slowing down. So my question's got nothing to do with the racing. Okay. So you type your name into Getty Images, Randy LaJoy. Almost every photo that comes up, you've got sunglasses just burnt onto your face. No tan. You can't. Everything else is tan. I wish you could deny it, but you can't. No. I mean, in our group thread, there's, there, there's wait, six Dark Oils, they were a sponsor. Yeah, but. <laughs> you can still take them off occasionally. You got one there. Yeah. One there. <laughs> How does so, that happen? Well, I said I said before we jumped on the show, I said, I don't know if I remember. Like, my dad didn't wear a whole lot of hats, and Mary no, said, uh, neither did sunscreen either. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's – none of that stuff really mattered. I mean, I, you can't mess up Purdy. So, that's what I figured. I mean, how you, can you mess up Purdy, you know, by putting sunscreen and, you know, I mean, somebody give you a pair of glasses, I'm going to wear them. Well, now, it, I won their race, too. They had the Gargoyles 300 Daytona. That was one of my one. 
Well, still that, getting free sunglasses. <laughs> that's like the the to me like thinking about that time where that photo, those that series of photos, like you're sitting there, you're doing your, your headshots at the beginning of the year, yeah, yeah, and that's exactly. what you're gonna do. Yep. Like now, so much thought is put into like each photo, and everything has to be. Bro, I'm not gonna no. name names, yeah. but it's somebody you would not expect. Multiple guys you would not expect have makeup artists follow them around for those production. Oh, I know. Well, yeah, I didn't get yeah. nothing. I'm not down. one of them. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm now, not obviously, I'm not could either. It, could it possibly be a wanker? <laughs> could possibly be a wank. Is that a pit crew Not guy? Not going to name names. So. Yeah, that must be a pit crew guy because that's what Harvard calls him, right? <laughs> now, when I saw it, I'm like, oh, that kind of makes sense because at the end of the day, that is your image that you use all year long. So, hey, I, and can't, I can't hate on it. It's, it's just it's, – it's fascinating to me, like, when you look back at the 80s and the 90s and just that – like, one, I just like hearing those stories. Like, there's nothing specific that I'm like, I want to know about this thing. It's just knowing what it was like to be in the sport at that time. Like, I've worked in the sport now for 12 years. And so, like, the crop of drivers that are now doing well, like, were kids when I started working in the sport. But, like, hearing the stories of you meeting Richard Petty and him pinching your arm, like, that's just, it's, I just want to hear more. <laughs> well, no, don't Dick Beatty. Who was your Dick favorite growing up? Oh, I was a Cal Yarbrough guy, David Pearson. Then you drove I met for David him. Pearson. Then you drove for him. Yeah, he wasn't my favorite. After that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't it funny? Like, once you, they say never meet your heroes. Yeah. They definitely yeah. don't drive for your heroes because you're yeah. going to get fired. Yeah, correct. No, no, I was just fill in. I, I was one of the 15 fill in. So it was what good. What was that? I mean, the Trap Arctic? Trap Arctic car, 66. Yeah. A good, great bunch of guys. Bob Johnson, the, the, the two brothers, Cropeland brothers, Larry, Fred, uh, Oh, I could see a handful of them. Bob Barton was there. I mean, that, that was a good group of guys. Uh, it, it was cool. That was a good time. And, you know, I learned a lot uh, running against the cup guys. I, I had a real car, and I thought, oh, this is fun, you know. And, you know, we had a couple things break, and I hit some stuff. And, oh, well. I don't want to burn up all the good content before spare change, but you told a good story. Harvick actually brought uh, Keelan over to the shop where – it was really cool. We just sat around for 45 minutes and Ben Strace about old stories and to hear Harvick just talk about stories of his dad getting pissed off at him, right? It just brought memories of all the times he's been pissed off at me. But you were telling me about uh, – it started – Harvick was talking about testing one of Dale's cars about the seat he was driving. He had like the old Econoline seat with the springs in the bottom. He said you hit the Bouncing bumps up and, down. and the, the belts would be loose and it would be tight. I forgot where – Kentucky or something he was driving the car. And then you told the story about you were drove you were driving somebody's car at Dover. Dover. Bobby Waywax. <laughs> Here's a guy, I mean, Bobby Waywax, he got burned real bad at Daytona. He, he showed him on fire with his freaking skin just melting off his hands. Uh, so the year after he's like, Hey, uh, you wanna drive? And he's at Dover and I want to race at Dover. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to drive me a cup car at Dover. I said, okay. So I I was only three hours from Connecticut to haul ass down there. What year was this? Oh boy. Oh. Uh, mid to late 80s 86 88 maybe somewhere in there so okay so i drive down there with a buddy of mine we go in there get in the pits and go to the car while well, he has one of these econoline seats which is not a lot just about sitting, a, what we're sitting in literally here. a van seat with yeah. a piece of sheet metal on the right yeah. side this, this is probably so more you than you say econoline Ford econo yes you're talking yes, yes. Yeah. hang on yeah. pause for a second so i that did you see that uh was it the nova nova, it was like a, a Jr. nova yeah. mutt that Dale Jr. found of his old man's in, like, the United Kingdom. It was a good wood. Found it. Knew which one it was by the pop rivet in the left side door bars. <laughs> bought it from the guy. Strips it down. He had Robert G. redo it like it was built in Martha's garage. Right? He asked me, which was certainly an honor and a privilege, to build the seat for it. So I did all the amount of research you could possibly do for a 1980-some-odd race car seat. Banjo Matthews was building seats. This guy built the seat, and it was a – it's like a 1970-40 Econoline van seat that has a perfect belt uh, – a bolt pattern in it. You put a side on it. You upholster that thing up nice. That thing was the – lazy boy back in the day voice that thing is money inside that thing so continue sorry so i said okay i'm gonna drive this guy's cup car now I, i've won a race there and i know you have to drive down a hill into turn one and till you that, see elvis was it asphalt yeah then? it was asphalt yeah it was asphalt so okay so i get in this guy's car and <laughs> i drive down in the corner and as i'm landing i'm still 
getting out of the throttle, but my upper body's leaving the seat. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, so I, now I'm totally out of the gas. And I'm trying to keep it on the racetrack, and I thought I was going to go out the right side window. I was like, what in the how did these guys do it? And I'm trying to get my – after about three laps, I was like, I can't do this. So I come in, and they're like, okay, what are we going to do? Man, we're good. The best, best car ever run. I was like, I, I, I said, give me a couple of belts. We're getting ready to qualify. I said, I put a belt under my underarms to the door bars, and I put a belt so it held me up my upper body. So we qualified mid-20s, first round. Uh, so the bush cars were there, and I took the seat out of Schrader's bush car Saturday afternoon and put it in that guy's car Sunday morning. So was that like the next qualify like on a Friday? Then you could like Friday, hold your first time round, and yes. come back? Yeah, top 20. Top 20 or whatever it was, 22, 24, whatever, how many guys? Yeah, it was first round, and then you could add a sheet, and you go up there, and you can mark on a stand. So the first three guys could stand, and the fifth guy can go out. Okay, and try to beat it. Yes. But most of the time, it was like in the middle of the day. So if you could stay yes, up. Yeah, you, 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 yes. Nine times out of ten, there weren't many second guys faster unless they yeah. screwed up yeah. big time. So to come full circle in the seat, today's seats, you're pouring foam, you're molding You're not moving here. anywhere. No. This, there literally were springs in the bottom of the seat yes. like came out of the junkyard. Like a box spring mattress. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. and you also you borrowed, well, a, you, go wrong. You borrowed a belt from, from fat ass like you and strapped it <laughs> down your waist to the door bar. Yeah, you gotta have that. That's why you gotta yeah, keep me right. around. Yeah. I do have this question. Did an experience like that, is that what kind of led you into the no. no, no, not at all. Not, nothing of like, all right, well, I know this will work now. Like, Well, I mean, I, I, I knew that the seat, my dad bought this seat 1971. I remember me and my brother, my dad went to Hartford. Hartford Civic Center trade show. My dad was a racer champion. Got to talking to Mark Donahue, which was a Trans Am champion, sitting there with his Penske 68 Camaro Trans Am. He just won the thing. And my dad's like, boy, that seat looks comfortable. And Mark says, sit in it. And my dad sat in it. You know, he was a 180-pound guy. And he said, oh, my gosh, this is so much nicer. And Mark said, hell, I'll sell you one. He goes, I built them for myself. It's like so, a fiberglass tub that's nice and round. Yeah, it was all long. Sweet. I mean, it was to fit in a Trans Am car. He had a lot of room. So my dad took it. He said, oh, man, this thing don't fit in my modified. So he just kept cutting it up. And finally had a guy make them once he got it to fit. So once I started, he goes, you need to use that seat. Okay. And I didn't know any different until I started driving other people's cars. Hey, come. You know, I had a seat that held me in. The other seats I had to hold myself into. So I said, okay, I, I like my old bucket seat that I don't have to hold myself in the car. So uh, that's kind of started it. And then NASCAR 94 said, hey, uh, no more fiberglass. I said, okay. He's like, he said, well, try to make them out of aluminum. So I did. I asked a couple of the guys in business, here, can you make this? And one guy told me it was a piece of shit. And I was like, oh, no, it's not. I've done one, three championships in this thing, and I've driven seats with your name on it. And, boy, they're not comfortable at all. So, man, and I don't think Mark Donahue, you know, 10 years ago, he's still really smart because this thing's way better than yours. Uh, so, needless to say, that guy's out of business. He's, he's gone from the business, uh, and, and we're still going. So, Mark Donahue had a wonderful idea back there. And said, well, he was an engineer. I mean, how many engineers do wonderful things, but he did. You know, that's for sure. They also used to acid dip the body panels of those old Camaros too. That they one of the only there. books I ever read. Yeah, the unfair advantage. Yeah, well awesome. they they were still yes. doing that till last year. Yes, just when now they acid, acid dip, dip the roof. Be gone. <laughs> yeah, well now they can't do it anymore. Yeah. So they're fiber. But yeah, yeah, I don't want to burn up all the good stories and content for our spare change because I'm excited to record that for you guys this weekend, Father's Day edition. So Janie, let's knock out a couple of these penny for your thoughts questions. Our first one comes from Brennan McCall. And he says, Daniel Suarez has had stints with two top teams, Gibbs and Stuart Haas. He's now a winner with Emerging Trackhouse. Can you name other examples where a driver has won after his first and second shot at a front-running cup team? Man, um, we talked about this kind of in the beginning of the show, but the more I thought about it was, is Michael Waltrip a decent example? You know, like, because he was at the Wood Brothers. Um, I mean, you could probably chime in on this too. Who, who has been – Wait, you can't put Michael Waltrip and race car driver all in the same sentence. He's got two Daytona 500 champions. Yeah, oh, that he does. That he does. Uh, and we are talking about Daniel Suarez, who has driven for Gibbs and Sewer Haas and finally gets after 195 starts in victory lane. So in your I, breadth right, of NASCAR the, knowledge. 
Is right. there anybody that is on a similar trajectory or was on a similar trajectory as Daniel Suarez? Logano, with the the if you look at Harvick at Children's, just look at the numbers. I mean, Harvick was at Children's 15 years, and he, and he won yeah, a handful of races. Won 20 they, some odd races over there. It well, wasn't like he was but he did that in one year. He won his sec third ever race. Yes, he did. <laughs> the Cup Series. Yes, yes, but I, I think that's where the team is so important because he switched teams and he won more. Joey switched teams and he won more. So even though the the teams might have been okay, if and nobody went back in there and won more, yeah, you no, know, nobody has gone into that twenty nine car, or the three car, or the and won car. more than Harvick did. Nobody has gone into the twenty car and did what Joey did. So it says, okay, that team wasn't as good as Joey because he left there, and both of those guys won more. Uh, you know, years ago, guys would switch jobs all the time just to jump in a good car. Uh, up in Northeast. I mean, I remember that's what Tommy Baldwin seems to be doing now with the modifies his number seven car. He's is it pretty it. rare to get multiple opportunities in really good cars? Like, do you, if you blow it on one, are you in contention less for another good one? Short answer, yes. Without getting into the details of the politics and the financials that go along with it, Daniel Suarez has had the uh, financial help more so than a lot of other guys. So that, uh, as much as anything, helps you keep treading water in this thing for as long as you want to tread water. Uh, but not taking anything away from it, he got the job done at Sonoma this weekend. But if you do not have any financial help behind you, you will be out as quick as you're in, especially if you get a shot in one of those big teams. Um, we had a lot of questions come in about what you're going to be doing in the off week. So, Alan uh, Harkle Road and Emma Borsma wants to know, as we switch to the second half of the season, what are some things you think you're, you and your team have done well in adapting at for the new car? And how does your team use this off week to prepare and reset? Man, it's well, if you ask my answer, you know, before these last three weeks, it's probably a little bit different than it is now because we've had an atrocious uh, month of end of May and beginning of June. But when stuff has happened, like when we blew a left retire at Charlotte, we were 12th in practice, right? We, when we blew up a gateway, we qualified 19th and we were running 20th. So when all stuff goes according to plan, we run in the top 20, which is more than what we did last year. I think we have seven top 20s this year, maybe six top 20s. And we had seven or eight total last year. So if we can continue to bring speed, we still need we still have a long way to go in terms of just knowledge and understanding what makes them go. But with just all these issues, left rear tires going down at Charlotte, blowing up at Gateway, we had the power steering issues at the road course this weekend. If we can just make it to the finish, we're generally a top 20 car, which is better than what we had been last year. So it's just, it's hard to beat this. I don't want to sound the guy, like, I don't want to be the one that beats the drum every week. It's like, hey, if we run 20th, we are beating nine teams that we shouldn't. So it's hard to it's hard to really say that and make it come across as intended. But um, I'm, I'm sure the guys this week, uh, they're going to, the road crew guys, man, those guys get beat up. That is a tough, tough job that we ask them to do. Working Monday afternoons all the way till Thursday leaving Friday, Saturday, Sunday away from their families. So those guys are going to get a well-earned vacation for a couple days, and we'll get back plugged in on Monday and get ready for Nashville. And last one that we have is from Mike Westmiller, and he wants to know, with six road courses on the schedule, if you had to take one off, which would it be? Indy, no doubt. There's no other road course I think that should be yanked. Also, I think the next-gen car, especially at Indy, would uh, provide a better race than what we're anticipating on seeing. Because I just think when you go to Indy and you run on the road course, it's just not even re remotely close to the same energy and prestige as the rectangle. Just saying that because you did the jump there. The launch. Year. I still finished 16th there. So, like, all things considered, even though I launched that thing like Maverick and Top Gun, uh, it held together, still had a good day. But it's just, like, you just don't get excited going to Indy for the road course. You just don't. As a, did you run the first one? Yep. No. It was there. I was the first alternate for the first one, which there was like sixty cars. Oh, more, yeah, more than that, probably eighty. Holy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which car were you driving? Fina twenty Moroso. Okay, is that ninety yeah. four? 
Uh, that would have been the first one. It was yeah, 94. Yeah, that was Moroso Fina. And that was one of the cool things is they, they gave you all the split times. All your corner speeds and all of that. And that was the first racetrack that ever had that. So everybody's like, oh, man, this is cool. That's the first. I mean, everybody else had handheld stopwatch. Uh, so we went from, okay, let's let's look and see how fast we are. And what's here, 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 here. Okay, we got to pick up a little bit here and there. Well, frigging qualifying. I, I come back, my hands are shaking. I was like, that's how good the lap was. I was like, didn't go down the straightaway as good as the last time. It's funny when you <laughs> say that when you're thir- 30 years removed from the race. Yeah. I see, there's a lot of stuff I can't say right now. Ain't that the truth. And, uh, you know. If you want me to say it, I'll say it. Nope. <laughs> please <laughs> don't. But what I want you guys to please do is rate, review, continue to uh, send your questions in each and every week. A couple different things on the way out. 2023 Daytona 500 tickets go on sale this Friday. It's going to sell out again, guys. So you might as well get your tickets now. Tweet us your questions like you do each and every week. Hashtag Penny for your thoughts. And do all the stuff. And also, you better tune in this weekend, Father's Day edition. We're going to be breaking down some funny, embarrassing, happy, sad, all the stories with my dad, Randy LaJoy, right here still on Stacking Pennies set. And, uh, you know, what you got, Chuck? I was going to say, can I give a Penny Stacker of the Week? Give a Penny Stacker of the Week because I didn't really have one. I'm going to give it to Daniel's Amigos. The fans at the track that came up to Victory Lane and just the, the amount of energy that was there in that victory lane was one of the most chaotic, coolest things that I've ever experienced. Hey, and you also got to give it to them because they've been through they've been through the ringer. Daniel Suarez, even, I mean, they were still still supporting him there when his Marty Gaunt days when he was running 32nd. You know, so those guys are loyal supporters of the Amigos. So congrats, Daniel's Amigos. You guys are the penny stackers of the week. Great show to all the fathers out there. We appreciate y'all. Keep up the great work. Thank you all for tuning in once again to Stack of Pennies.